We're still near the beginning of our series studying the book of 1 Samuel, so turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4, and the theme of our study is seeking after God's own heart. Sort of the the theme verse in 1 Samuel 13 verse 14 is God, when he talks about David who's about to be king, he says, I have sought for myself a man after my own heart. And God longs to form in each one of us a heart after his heart. This morning, we're going to learn that God forms a heart in us that seeks after his heart through a process of continual purification of our hearts by his grace. And what we learn through this morning's passage in particular is that God often leads us down unexpected pathways of providence to expose our hearts, show us how our hearts need to be changed, and then calling us to bring our hearts to Him and His grace so that our hearts will be purified to seek after Him. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Many of y'all have been around here long enough to know that uh, some of my favorite books, books that I read to our children as they were growing up, were C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. It's about four siblings, four children from our world who go into a magical place called Narnia where the animals talk. They go into that world, Narnia, through a magic wardrobe. When they get there, they meet a family of beavers, And Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are convinced that the appearance of the children are connected to an ancient prophecy whereby Aslan is going to be on the move. Now, Aslan is the Christ figure in all the stories. And the reason why Aslan is going to be on the move is because all of Narnia is under the curse of the White Witch. It's always winter, but never Christmas. But word has it that with the appearance of the children, the old and ancient prophecies are being fulfilled. With all this talk about Aslan, one of the children speaks up, and Susan asks, Who is Aslan? And Mrs. Mr. Beaver responds, Aslan, why don't you know? He's the king. He's the Lord of all of Narnia. He'll settle the white witch, all right. As it says in an old rhyme in these parts, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. And then Lucy, the smallest one of the children, speaks up. Well, is Aslan a man? Mr. Beaver responds, Aslan a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I'd have thought he was a man. Is he safe? Safe, 
said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's wild, you know. Not like a tame lion. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so much higher are my ways than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. He's not a tame God. He's not safe because he does the unexpected very often. But he's good. So to have a heart after God's heart, our thoughts, and our desires, our emotions, our wills, all need to go through purification by grace. And in the process, God takes us down surprising paths of providence to transform us. And we see that in the passage before us. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along with me as I uh, read 1 Samuel 4, 1 through 11. This is God's Word. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies." So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled 
every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us. He wants to form within us a heart after His own heart. But to do that, He often exposes our hearts by bringing us down unexpected providential pathways so that our hearts might be changed into hearts that seek His heart. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word in this surprising story of providence. Show us our own individual stories of Your providence. And as You purify the hearts of the Israelites, would You purify our hearts so that we might seek after your heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. In Proverbs 17, verse 3, we read these words. The crucible is for silver. The furnace is for gold. And the Lord tests the hearts. The Lord is always using a parade of His providence to expose our hearts, to purify them so that we might know Him and seek Him better. Three elements of the heart in this text that God purifies so that we might be people after God's own heart. First of all, seek God's heart through purity of desire. If you look at verse 1, it's a very abrupt transition. Now, if you remember from last week, there has been very rarely words from God over a period of time. This is the period of the time of the Judges, if you know the book of the Judges. And the theme of the period throughout the book of Judges is that everybody in Israel was doing as they saw fit, doing what was right in their own eyes. And so God didn't send a lot of his word because the people weren't willing to listen to it and follow it. But then God raised up Samuel supernaturally through an incredible power working through Hannah who was barren. And Hannah has Samuel and now the word of God is coming to the people of Israel again. Everything should be great, right? It should lead to prosperity and blessing and victory over the enemies. And so we're told and reminded that the word of Samuel was going to all Israel. And then suddenly, in a transition that makes no sense, Israel's going off to war. There's no evidence that Israel was seeking God's desires here. There's no evidence that Israel went to Samuel and asked for guidance or wisdom. We're simply told the word of God was coming through Samuel to Israel, and then Israel, it seems on their own, went off to battle. Why? 
Well, we do what we do because of personal desires. Did they desire safety? Did they desire security? Did they desire peace? Did they desire stability by having more land and fields to provide for their children? We're not really told. And as I rattle off those desires, don't, those aren't bad desires. Those aren't bad things. But God wants to meet our desires as we walk in intimacy with Him. He doesn't want us to try to meet our desires independently of intimacy with Him. And this is where our desires need to be purified. God often exposes our desires through strange and unexpected parades of providences so that our desires will become more in line with God's desires. Here in the verse 1, Israel's just presuming their own desires. Does that sound familiar? Don't we often do that as well? Go off after our own desires without really pausing to seek God's wisdom, God's counsel, God's guidance, God's word. And look what happens in verse 2. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines. Now, you need to understand, we're talking about an oral tradition here. There, we, this wasn't written down yet. This was, this was shared person to person, family to family, village to village, city to city. And when people are sitting around the campfire listening to this story, this is a shocker. What do you mean they were defeated by the Philistines? Why? And in verse 3, that's the question the elders of Israel ask. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Everybody was shocked. But once again, there's no evidence of Israel going to Samuel for counsel. There's no evidence of Israel seeking after God's heart, even in defeat. They simply are focused and obsessed with their desire to defeat the Philistines. So look what they do. Verse 3, let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here that it may save us. Now, if you know anything about the ark of the covenant... And by the way, that's what the picture was in the short video. That was the Ark of the Covenant. You've probably seen pictures of it in Raiders of the Lost Ark. The, the Ark of the Covenant had a history with the people of God. When the people of God went into the Promised Land and had to battle the enemies, God told them to bring the Ark of the Covenant and put it in the lead. When they went around the walls of Jericho for seven days, the Ark of the Covenant took the lead, and when they blew the trumpets, the walls fell on flat, and God gave Israel the victory. So the Ark of the Covenant has a history of being sort of involved in the victory that God gives his people. But there's no record of God telling the Israelites to take the Ark of the Covenant and do this. They are simply forming their own strategies to meet their own desires independently of God and his counsel and his word. And so look what happens in verse 10. Israel's defeated again, even with the Ark of the Covenant. 
30,000 people are killed. Every soldier is a deserter. Again, as people hear this story orally, there is shock. There is what is going on. And of course, what is going on is God is trying to tell all of us our desires can be good but they are to be met in the process of walking intimately with God. The call to worship this morning from Psalm 37. Do you remember what it was? Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You catch that? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So often... We pursue our own desires independently of intimacy with God and delighting in Him. And that's what the Israelites are doing here. So God doesn't want to kill our desires, but He does want to purify them. The desire for victory became so paramount, so important, so vital to the Israelites that they actually began to not seek God's desires, but only their own. Does that ever happen to you? It happens to me sometimes. I get so focused, so obsessed on my own desires and trying to meet them in my own ways that I realize I'm not even seeking after God's heart. Tim Bennett and I, one of our elders, uh, we do the gospel waltz retreats together. And there's a section where we talk about desires and how God wants to purify our desires, not kill them. And and he purifies our desires as we waltz, as we do the three-step of repent and believe and fight for new obedience. And there's a part where he he explains that the danger in our lives when it comes to the desires is when ideals become idols. What's the difference between the word ideal and the word idol? Well, the E-A in ideal becomes the O in idol. And what happens is the E-A in ideal in desires, expectations and aspirations become the O in idol, become obsessions. When our expectations and aspirations become obsessions, that's when our ideals become idols. That's when our desires become gods. Desires are good, but they're not God. And sometimes our hearts go astray because we allow good desires to become really bad gods. And God loves us too much to let us go down that path. And so at times, Aslan, the untamed God, takes us down wild unexpected paths and parades of providence to expose our distorted desires so that we would begin to desire after God, to delight ourselves in Him and wait for Him 
to give us the desires of our hearts, realizing that no matter what desire we have, it only, ultimately, can be fulfilled in Him. This is why if you desire a great marriage, it's a wonderful desire, it's a really bad God. Because the desire for a good marriage, more deeply speaking, is a desire for intimacy. But only God can satisfy our desire for intimacy. And if you try to look to your marriage to save you from loneliness, then you're going to put pressure on your marriage that your marriage was never meant to bear. Or friendships, or your job, wanting to get impact and a sense of making a difference from your job. Only God ultimately can change the world. And if you try to get your sense of impact and worth and value from what you do, then you're desiring something that your work and vocation can never give you. And it's going to lead to a life of disappointment. So God, in love, orchestrates unexpected parades of providences to expose our hearts, to bring our desires in line with his desires. Seek God's heart through purity of desire. Secondly, seek God's heart through purity of faith. We're going to focus here for a moment on the ark. Look at verse 3. Let us bring the ark that it may come among us and save us from the power of the enemy. Notice that the object of Israel's faith has shifted here. They're no longer trusting in their God. They're trusting in the ark of their God. We need to be careful in life that we don't shift our focus of faith from the person of God to the gifts of God. Israel here is trusting like some people trust in a rabbit's foot. Their faith isn't in God. Their faith has become superstition. And sometimes our faith becomes superstition as well, doesn't it? We're really not pursuing God. We're not loving God for God's sake. We're loving God because of what he might be able to give us. We're trusting that if we just do things right with God, then maybe our life will work. Maybe God will give us the life we really long for. And it's using God like a, a rabbit's foot. I, I can remember before I knew Jesus, uh, I found out that St. Christopher was the saint of protection, and I went out and bought a St. Christopher medallion and wore it. I, I wasn't even a Christian. I didn't even know God, but, but man, I was hoping that that medallion would work. That's not faith. That's blind faith and Nothing. And it's so easy for us to shift from trusting in God, His person, His nature, the work of Christ, and to begin to put our hope and trust in other things. Purity of faith means that God wants to purify our faith from superstition. And sometimes He uses a parade in providence that takes us down unexpected paths to expose our hearts and our faith as superstitious. 
so that he can bring us back to true faith in Christ. God is a person to be loved and trusted, not a genie to be used. And how many of us look at God as our great genie in the sky? But then look at verse 4. They sent and brought the ark of the Lord of hosts who was enthroned on the cherubim. You, you get the idea from the narrative that this is what the people were saying. Let's go get the ark of the Lord, the holy God who was enthroned on the cherubim. It was all rationally and theologically precise. But you get the idea that it was just words. In Isaiah 29, 13, God says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Faith isn't just mouthing the words. Faith isn't just rational, intellectual assent. Faith is wholehearted. It involves, yes, thinking rightly about God, but, but also going before God with all of our emotions and all of our desires and all of our choices. It's not simply assenting to truths. It's resting in the person and work of Christ. Faith must be purified from superstition. Faith must be purified to become wholehearted. And then, and then look at verse 4. It says, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. If you've been here the past few weeks, you know that that's a loaded sentence. Hophni and Phinehas were the sons of Eli. They were corrupt priests. They were immoral. They were unfaithful they didn't even know God. And yet here they are bringing the holy ark of the covenant. At this point in the story, there should be some instrumentation that goes ba 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 ba. Like, you know, nothing but bad is going to happen here. Hophni and Phinehas, are you kidding me? They're bringing the ark? This is going to be disastrous. And it was. But see, they were so far removed from the reality of who the person of God was that they thought it didn't matter how you lived. And see, sometimes God takes us down surprising paths of providence to expose that our hearts have shifted from faith in the true God to cheap grace. And so our faith needs to be purified from cheap grace to biblical grace. And then look at verse 5. As soon as the ark came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout. It was all subjectivism. It was all emotionalism. They're about to experience one of the greatest defeats Israel has ever experienced. And yet they're filled with this sense, everything's going to be great. It was nothing but emotionalism. And how many of us are living out of faith that is little more than subjectivism? It's just emotionalism. There's no substance to it at all. We simply think because we feel good, we feel the way we feel, that everything's going to be great. But if we're not living in faith in the person and work of Christ and the promises of God according to the word of God, 
then our faith is an illusion and our emotions are actually leading us down the wrong path. All of this is blind faith. And God wants to purify us from blind faith to give us true faith, to form real faith in Christ. We're, we're just like the Nazis in Raiders of the Lost Ark. They thought because they had read the Bible, which is interesting. I mean, you don't want to go too deep about this, obviously. But they're reading the Bible and believing that the ark is real and that it has real power. Well, then why aren't they seeking after the God of the Bible? But anyway, so they try to get the ark, and here's what they're going to do. They think, well, the ark has power. Whoever has the ark then has power. So just because we have their, they're doing just what Israel did. Whoever has the ark is going to be able to take over the world. And of course, that doesn't work out very nicely for them. But when we see in the film, we see the foolishness of the Nazis with the ark, and yet how rarely do we see our own foolishness when it comes to the superstitious nature of our faith or just the rationalism of what we call faith or the emotionalism of what we call faith or our, our faith in what amounts to a cheap grace. No, God needs to purify our faith. And he often does it through surprising parades of providence. Please hear me. I'm not even saying in all of our situations we're living in sin. I'm simply saying that whenever God establishes unexpected, surprising parades and paths of providences, He's simply seeking to purify our hearts so that we seek after his heart. Seek God's heart through purity of desire, purity of faith. Lastly, seek God's heart through purity of hope. This, this whole chapter ends in hopelessness. Where's the hope? Bob, let's get through the point so I can see some hope here. Verse 10, Israel was defeated and fled, and every man went to his home. There was a very great slaughter. They, they lost all hope. Why? Because they had put their hope in circumstances and not in the Lord. So many times we lose hope because we interpret God's love by our circumstances. Instead, what God calls us to do is interpret our circumstances through the reality of God's love. Israel was hoping in circumstances, so they lost all hope. Then look at the result. Verse 11, the ark was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now, the ark being captured, that must have seemed like a huge defeat. That must have seemed like a great reason to lose hope. The ark of God, the symbol of the presence and the glory of God, was captured by the enemy. Doesn't God care about his reputation? Doesn't he realize what the Philistines are going to think? We're going to get to that, by the way, next week. But listen, far from being defeated or embarrassed, verse 11 reveals that God was actually accomplishing his will and moving toward greater glory in Israel. Look at the last part of verse 11. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. God predicted this in 1 Samuel 2 and in 1 Samuel 3. They were corrupt. 
They were immoral, they were unbelievers, and they were pretending to serve as priests. And God said, I am not a God to be trifled with. I'm going to deal with this. And he did. So that this parade of providence was actually there not to destroy Israel's hope, to to purify it. Israel thought her hope was dead. God was acting to say, oh, your hope is only just beginning. Israel was thinking, all is dark. I mean, look at the end of the chapter. There's the story of Eli's daughter-in-law, Phinehas, one of the sons who was put to death. His wife was pregnant. And when the battle was, was done and Israel was defeated and, and, and Phineas and Hophni died, she gave birth and she named the child Ichabod and then she died in birth. Ichabod means the glory has departed. Israel thought they were done because they weren't looking at the larger story. You see, Aslan is not a tame lion, and Aslan is perfectly content with temporary defeats in order to bring about the ultimate victory. And where in your life do you feel like hope is dead? Because of an unexpected path of providence. And it could be very likely that God is saying to you, oh, no. Son, daughter, your hope is about to get to the place where it's never been more alive. In Psalm 23, verse 6, David writes, Surely goodness and mercy, surely goodness and loving kindness, surely goodness and grace will follow me all the days of my life. That word follow in the Hebrew is very graphic. It means to hunt. It means to pursue It means to run after and go after. I'm coming after you. But with God, it's the purpose of loving kindness and grace and mercy. Don't interpret God's love by your circumstances. But instead, interpret your circumstances by God's love. And you may think hope is dying or hope is lost. And God is saying, surprise, hope is about to be found. You see, there was another time when the Ark of the Covenant was captured and everybody thought the glory of God had departed. It was at the cross because Jesus is the new and better Ark of the Covenant. And he allowed himself to be captured. And the disciples thought all hope was lost. They thought Ichabod, the glory had departed. But Jesus was saying, hang on. Your real hope is finally about to spring into life. In your own lives today, What unexpected, surprising parades of providences are you interpreting as God trying to kill your desire? He's not trying to kill your desire. He only wants to purify it. 
Or maybe you think you're about to lose heart and lose faith. No. God's just wanting to purify our faith and make it more biblical. And maybe you feel you're about to lose hope. No. Aslan is not a tame lion. He's wild, you know. And he's not safe. But oh man, is he good. Let's pray. Father, some of us are afraid when we hear that you're a wild God, that you're uncontrollable, unmanipulable. But Father, (laughs) could it be any other way? You're God, we're not. And so Lord, give us humility. Help us to trust that you know what you're doing, that you're wise, that you're almighty. And in some ways, Lord, most of all, that you're good. We can trust you with our desires. We can trust you with our lives. God, if there's anybody here today that uh, they don't know you, through Jesus Christ. May today be the day of their salvation. May they transfer their trust from their own efforts or superstitions and really put their hope in the promises of the gospel concerning the finished work of Christ. God, for the rest of us, help us to go forward in your grace, trusting that you're changing us through all of this to bring hope alive. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Hear the benediction, the promise of God's love and grace as we move forward through these parades of providences. Receive it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.